Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dave Lee Down Under podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Dave Lee. I'm taking a small break over the holidays and will return with new episodes in early 2021. Until then, I'll be delivering a number of compilation episodes showcasing some of the best moments from 2020. Regularly, episodes go out every Monday on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon, and a visual element is also available on YouTube. Patreon supporters get all of this on the Saturday, so if you'd like your early access, head to patreon.com forward slash Dave Lee Down Under. Please enjoy the best of the Daily Down Under podcast 2020 part 4. Over the last year, I was given the incredible opportunity to speak with a number of core creative and performance talent from a selection of Disney Plus original movies and series. Throughout the first season of the podcast, I spotlit a number of these interviews very briefly. Here for the very first time on the podcast, I present every one of these interviews in full. Please enjoy. A couple of weeks ago, I said on the podcast, um, it was the last show, I think it was the first show we did, I had been up since like 2am um, because uh, my friends over at Disney uh, had reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to take part in a press junket, which was awesome. Um, the first press junket I've, I've done, um, I've done like red well, carpet. Well, for Disney anyway. For Disney. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've done a lot of red carpet things before, but this is the first thing where I like had like a proper like one-on-one kind of interview thing. It was virtual, of course, because the whole COVID thing. Um, but this is an opportunity I probably wouldn't have, I definitely wouldn't have had, had it not been, I guess, the COVID thing or whatever, silver lining, whatever. But um, it was for the upcoming Disney Plus film called Secret Society of Second Born Royals. It releases this Friday, September 25th, it stars Peyton Elizabeth Lee, Isabella Blake Thomas, Olivia Diebel, who is a fellow Melbourneian, um, Niles Fitch, Noah Lomax, and I hope I can pronounce this correctly, Faley Rakato Havana. That's the cast. Rakato Havana. And I interviewed all of them. They're all really, really lovely people. Let's just have a listen. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm calling from Dave Lee Down Under here in Australia. Uh, yes, Sorry. I've got a fellow Melbourneian here. Hello, Melbourneian, mate. Hi, how are you going? I was actually going to ask you, um, Olivia, you did that, you had a fairly substantial run on Home and Away, um, yes. and now you've grabbed a, lead, a leading role in a Disney film. What's it like going from Summer Bay to the Magic Kingdom? Uh, it's pretty crazy, uh, especially I literally, when I got told that I got the job, it was two days after I finished up my contract on Home and Away. Wow. So it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy, complete shift. Um, I think Home and Away really prepared me. It was hard leaving my home and away family like you know kind of how territorial and how familiar we are but everyone was hugely supportive so that was lovely and I grew so many tools from being on that show and that I took to yeah. my next adventure so yeah amazing my name a Disney princess so that's pretty cool pretty cool um, Peyton you've uh, obviously been um, part of the Disney family for a while uh, with your role on uh, Disney Channel's Andy Mack. Uh, uh, how exciting is it for you to now make the jump to be a Disney princess? Yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing journey so far, being a part of the Disney family. There's nothing like it. Um, it's so special. And, you know, every kid, or not every kid, but most kids grow up watching Disney Channel and, you know, loving the shows and the movies. And I mean, I can speak from personal experience. So much of my childhood was sort of centered around Wizards of Waverly Place and all of those shows, you know? So to sort of think about the idea that I might be a part of those core Disney memories for this new generation is very exciting. And, um, I'm just so humbled and 
happy to be a part of it all. Yeah, and and Noah, you uh, you 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 portray one of the few characters in the film that doesn't come from a royal bloodline, but you get to be a Disney sidekick. Now, some of the coolest characters are Disney sidekicks, so that's going to be pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's really cool. I've, just like Peyton was saying, as a kid, you always kind of watch those shows and wish that one day maybe you could be able to be one of those kids on the show. And it's kind of surreal that now, you know, I had that chance and, you know, I'll maybe get to be that kind of um, Zach and Cody or kind of character yeah. for some, a younger kid. Um, but I don't have any powers, but that's okay. Because I feel like my power in the movie is being just a great friend to Sam. And Fela, you have worked with uh, Disney before. You've done, uh, you did a bit of work on uh, Raven's Home. Uh, how, yeah. did, how, how do the two uh, experiences differ for you personally? The energies were just different entirely. You know, with Raven's Home, I played a played a guest role, and uh, I played as Miles, Miles from Raven's Home. He had, he also had a superpower, the power of suggestion. I was able to tell people to do things, and they do it like like Tuma. Yeah. So um, the uh. The, the contrast in itself was just the fact that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a lead in that per se. I was more of a guest role. So yeah. I was kind of more on set as it was more, um, it was a lot more serious for me. I felt like I had a lot more that I had to, uh, a lot more that I had to prove to the rest of the yeah, people yeah. on set, you know, like, Hey, you guys are amazing at your jobs. Cause those kids are all super inspirational. They're all like three years younger than me and they were living my dream you know so I was yeah. um I felt like I had a lot I had to live up to on set you know I had to show them that like hey I'm here to work just like the rest of you and I'm going to do a darn good job at it you know well as with uh, Secret Society you know it was it was a lot more of a um it was still that same type of setting you know but once again yeah. with people that I definitely grew a lot closer to as a cast you know, it was, a, it was a cast of my own for once. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, watched the film a couple of days ago and really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it sounds like you had a, a lot of fun working on it as well. Totally. We really did. I think all of us bonding on set and we just had a great time. And we've got some incredible memories. I mean, I've been looking back at the photos recently to start being able to post things when the movie's out. And we just had so, yeah. so many great memories together and such a great time. The whole film is really about friendship and family and um it really sounds like i was in the press conference earlier that you you guys really formed a, a essentially a family on set and and behind the scenes what do you think is the importance of that in a film like this i i think it's really important because we have to be a team and um mm -hmm. I, I don't believe it would be believable unless you know we were a team in real life uh, you know, even if we are actors, uh, you know, there's there's just some things you can't fake and you can't fake a bond. And I feel like that's what you see in the movie. Yeah, I agree. And I think as well, it's important for the audiences to see that and to know that we are really friends and are a team in real life, because it's one of my favorite things to do is after watching a movie, going to watch their interviews and seeing how the cast react and going, oh, they really are friends. And it just makes that relationship on screen so much more fun to be able to watch is yeah. when you hear the funny things they did and when you hear them accidentally slipping up on things or making jokes about things, like it just makes them human and makes them real. So I think it's definitely very important to show that. Yeah. And while this is, I guess essentially the first original film that's been done for Disney Plus. I mean, most of the other ones are either based on pre-existing sources or were planned for theatrical release. Uh, this is essentially the first Disney Plus. Like, how cool is it to be part of something like that? Yeah, it's huge. And I think 
within saying that it really is a modern twist we're talking about modern teenagers who are dealing with modern issues and we mm-hmm. cover a lot of topics within it so i think it's there are so many there are so many kind of subplots and little little rabbit holes that we go down so it's an incredible it's an incredible movie to be part of as you said because it is an original and it's an original yeah. in so many formats and then in addition to that we're telling each individual has their own true moral compass story as well as this this group of teamwork so yeah it was it's it was incredible and i i was so grateful to have to have worked on it yeah it's it's amazing to be able to join the disney family uh you know they take care of one another and it's such a deep community uh so you know to be a part of it especially at this young age it's such a blessing i mean for me it's uh, it's iconic and it's still very surreal. Uh, I, there are some days I wake up and I have to pinch myself and remind myself that I'm in a Disney movie and that mm-hmm. I'm a Disney princess because I think it's everyone's dream at some point in their life is to be in the Disney family. Uh, and I think, especially where we are now with like Disney Channel and Disney Plus, it's even yeah. bigger of a family now because there's so many different moving parts to it with all the content mm-hmm. that's being released. And I love that I'm in the Disney family. I mean, I'm honored that they that they thought of me to be a part of the Disney family because it's an incredible honor. And I think I will never forget that I am part of the Disney family because it really is something that lasts you for a lifetime. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I remember when I first saw that it was Disney Plus and the Disney Plus original movie. I mean, I was I was just mind blown because I go, this is a this is a moment in history, a moment in media history and film history. And I mean, you look at like, if you're getting technical, like with numbers, Disney Plus had over 50 million new users in the first five months or something crazy yeah. like that. And it's it's so, so cool to think that there are so many people who are going to watch this movie because in reality for us, I mean, it was a project that we put our heart and soul into, but it feels like this big. But then you put it on Disney Plus with so many more people seeing it and it becomes this big. And I think to see how a project can grow like that when for us, it's just putting our heart and soul into something that we love doing and to see that people love it. I mean, we've been fortunate enough to hear today that people love the movie when they've seen it. And that just warms my heart because we did work so hard on it and it is like a baby for us. And we put everything we had into it and worked so hard on it. And now for it to be able to be out and everything coming to fruition is kind of cool. The really great thing about it is, uh, it not only draws on, you know, classic comic book, you know, tropes and and superhero stuff, but there's a lot of like real Shakespearean elements in there as well. The fight for throne, the fight for power, you've seen like Hamlet, Macbeth, and then there it kind of draws parallels with real life royalty. You know, the second born royal is always a little bit of a wild child too. So where, where do you personally uh, find uh, your own inspiration in building your characters? That's a good question. Um... I think a lot of my inspiration for my character on its own was definitely, um, um, are you guys familiar with the actor, Michael, is it Michael Sarah? It's Michael. Michael Sarah, right? yeah. Yeah, he was a huge inspiration. Oh my inspiration. God, yes. Sorry, that's the first time for... and that makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah he was a huge inspiration for my role only because of what he brings to his characters. You know, he's he always plays the the awkward, shy character. And I feel like I drew a lot from his energy. I watched a lot of his movies for this. And as you said, the um, any any royals in general, Harry, for one, you know, mm-hmm. he, um, I did a lot of, I didn't do a lot of research on him per se, but I did watch some videos on him on how, you know, he postures himself, how he displays himself because of, you know, him being a royal. And I feel like that was yeah. important information for me to know. I mean, 
I didn't use it <laughs> very much only because Mateo is definitely not the super postured man like Harry is per se, but you know, it was just good information to have. Yeah. So for me, um, Mike is just a normal kid and kind of, I feel like because he's a non-royal that kind of gives him his own uniqueness in a way. And um, he's not friends with Sam because she's royal. He's friends with Sam because he likes her for who she is. Because she's a good friend to him and he's the same way right back. And they have a deep love and passion for music um, that they play together. And that's kind of their thing. And he's kind of like a healthy distraction for her from all the stresses that uh, royal life might bring. So, um, yeah, and I feel like I might be similar in a way to Mike and just the way of how loyal he is to his friends. I feel like I'm a pretty loyal friend, so... Well, so again, Roxana's this stuck up, like I, I think there was so much room for me to gather. She's not only a Cheryl, she's also an influencer. My favorite thing is to make fun of Instagram influencers. So I got to play that and then also overcome that. So I, and I also, I decided when I, as soon as I read it, I went, she's going to have a really posh English accent. She has to, it's going to be hilarious. So I got to play like this dumb blonde. There was so many components of comedy that I, you know, that I've studied. I've studied stand-up comedy and slapstick comedy, and I got to use yeah. so much of that. And then there was also, again, as I said, there was this really important underlying message. So there were so many dreams that I got to fulfill just within this one character. Yeah, I think a lot of the inspiration for um, my character comes from my own personal experience. You know, I really connect very closely with Sam and um, who she is as a person and her sort of pursuit um, to finding herself and to um, becoming the person she wants to be. And, you know, I think that's something that I can relate to and all kids growing up everywhere can relate to is sort of just that, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? How can I stand out? And how can I make a mark? Um, yeah. Which are all things that Sam sort of struggles with and figures out and navigates throughout the movie. Um, and all of her um, reactions and everything that I brought to the character comes from my personal experience. and just being able to relate really closely to the story. Yeah, that's great. About, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, obviously, comic book movies, superhero movies, stuff like that's really, really big at the moment. What would you say sets uh, Secret Society apart from the rest of the stuff that's out there? They don't have that royalty aspect. Mm -hmm. And they are teenagers. Yeah. The message that it sends of self-empowerment and everyone having kind of their own different um, powers, but finding a way to use them as a, in a positive way and use them to defeat mm -hmm. an equal. Um, yeah. I think that's really what sets it apart. And then just kind of the whole um, dynamic with Sam's secret society life and then her relationship with Mike and kind of having to navigate through those things. So I'm going to say that I think it's great um, that this film kind of breaks the mold of what um, people might think a princess should be or might think a superhero should be um, and sort of like stands apart from those stereotypes, which I think mm -hmm. is. What, what do you think the importance of a, of a story like this is at this specific moment in time? What do you hope people take from it? You know that uh, you can't judge a book by its cover and you need to accept people for who they are and differences are what make us us. Uh, I, I feel like too many people think that everybody has to have the same opinion or same viewpoint. Uh, and if you know the world was like that, it'd be a boring world. Uh, you know, and I think that's that's something that I really even love just about acting because we get to, you know, put our, 
you know, put on somebody else's shoes and view the world from their perspective, you know? So, you know, being an actor, you know, being able to bring this character to life to where other people are going to be able to, you know, see themselves in me because I didn't really get that till I was, you know, later, you know, I'm 16 watching Black Panther and, you know, I know how much of an effect that had on me, but I can't imagine what that would have been like to be able to watch Chadwick at 12 or 10 or at nine, mm -hmm. where I, you know, at eight, where I'm not even understanding it, but I'm still seeing somebody that looks like me on, on television yeah. or, or, you know, on, on, on film, you know, so I, I, I can't, I can't wait. Yeah, I think this um, film couldn't be coming out at a better time, you know, for two main reasons. Firstly, because it's such a happy film, you know, it's full of hope and light. And those are two things that we don't really have a lot of right now. So I think um, being able to add a little bit of, you know, just fun and happiness to the world and to someone's day um, is going to be huge. And also, I think the themes of embracing who you are and loving yourself and others because we are all um, unique individuals and being able to come together because of that and find togetherness in our uniqueness and in what makes us different that's a huge thing um, that we need to work on right now as a society because right now we're letting our differences tear us apart and yeah. you know there's no way for that to ever work well you know so amazing fantastic thanks so much guys really appreciate thank the time you. Thank, thank you, thank you. Much. um but last week I had another interview um, with um, with the director of the Disney Plus movie Clouds, um, which uh, Justin Baldoni directed the film. Really fantastic guy. Of course, um, he's, he was on that. Yeah, he was on Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin. Jane right. the Virgin, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's an actor, direct staff, writer, amazing guy, really wonderful guy. And I got to speak to him last week ahead of the launch of uh, Disney Plus Clouds. It's the true story of Zach Sobiak, who is a young artist uh, who discovered that his cancer is terminal um, and was determined to spend his final days reaching his goals of uh, becoming a recording artist, successful recording artist, and became a viral sensation. Yep. As a result of it, and they yeah, made a film about story. him. True story. Um, um, Justin Baldoni made a, a documentary about him many years ago, and has now made um, a, a film about him. Wonderful film. We weren't allowed to say anything oh, last it week. It was fantastic. Fantastic film. Loved I loved it. it. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. And this is one that Disney have actually acquired from Warner Brothers. So it's mm. the first acquisition that Disney Plus have done for the service, uh, as far as a dramatic film goes. Um, so strange. It's very different from anything else that's gone up on Disney+. Plus. So the, and... the embargo has dropped for this one now? Oh, yeah. Thankfully, sure. last week, we weren't allowed to say anything. <laughs> oh. It's all out there now. I've got that's a review good. up there. I've got my interview with the director, Justin Baldoni, is up on YouTube as well. Uh, but what we're going to do right now is just have a very quick listen to a small clip from my interview with Justin Baldoni on Disney Plus's Clouds. Hi, how are you? My name's Dave. I'm calling from Dave Lee Down Under YouTube channel uh, here in Australia. I uh, watched the film yesterday evening and loved it. It's really, really great, inspirational, touching film. Thank you so much. Well, you seem to have pretty good taste in movies. Look what's behind you. Yes, of course. Love the classics. The and, movies, uh, come on. Yeah. Um, I, was, um, I was unaware of Zach and his story before I, uh, before I saw the film. And um, I've been completely just touched by his story. And I think that's, it's quite remarkable that he can still reach out uh, to people so long after his passing. And I imagine that's a, a really big part um, of the, the experience of the film and making the film and getting it out there on such a big platform as Disney+. Plus. Uh, 
to audiences who there's going to be a lot of people like myself who haven't come across Zack's story before. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's Disney, right? Dreams yeah. come true. Yeah. And um, Disney informed so much of who I am, I think, as a filmmaker. And um, and look, my my mission as an artist is to tell stories that touch hearts, that yeah. remind people that life is beautiful and worth living. Um, and uh, And look, this is all... This has all been guided in a way by Zach himself. You know, I say Zach was yeah. my director. He's been a part of this from the very beginning. You know, this all started seven years ago. I was telling his story as part of a documentary series called My Last Days with my friends at Soul yeah. Pancake. And his was the seventh story, the final story of that first season on YouTube. And um, after we met and bonded, we all fell in love. We, we you know, we became family. I made him a promise before we died that I would do whatever I could to, to help further his mission and make sure that people all over the world knew his name and his, and his story and heard his music. But more importantly, that I'd help him raise money for his fund. You know, before yeah. he died, he set up the Zach Sobiak Osteosarcoma Fund. So at the end of the day, when, uh, when, his, when his mom wrote this book and I asked if we could turn it into a movie, the mission was not just to make a movie that touched people, it was to make a movie that touched people and inspired people to maybe donate to his fund. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we could end this. Yeah. I would say in the movie making, oh, we're not curing cancer, but that I'm like, well, why not? Yeah. Why can't we? Right. Well, uh, we lost my grandmother to cancer about 10 years ago now. And um, it was a very sudden, very swift kind of thing. But we were able to spend her last days, her last hours with her. And I felt like the film really captured that kind of energy of those last um, those last few, I suppose, days and hours um, in a way that I feel like, I mean, there's been quite a few movies that have touched on these themes in the past, but I, I felt like this was, um, this kind of explored that energy and that kind of, that, that feeling more authentically than anything else I've seen in the past. How important was that for you to kind of bring that to your vision? That is uh, everything I hoped for because, you know, I've, I've been very blessed to experience firsthand um, the miracle and the richness of what it's like when somebody passes. Yeah. And, you know, I've also been very blessed to experience the richness and what it's like when someone is born, you know, my, I had kids and there's a striking similarity between the two. Mm -hmm. What people don't often understand and what movies tend to fail to capture is the joy that comes also in death. And, and the magic that happens and how people are come together and how you can have two things at once. You can have tremendous grieving and suffering and yet extreme joy and hilarious moments that unless you were there, you, you wouldn't understand. It's never just this one thing. And we see these films where it's just like, you know, this person's dying and it's just miserable and dark and depressing. But this was really a movie about hope. It's not a movie about death. It's not a movie about cancer. Mm -hmm. It's going to fit into any of these critics' ideas of what, like, a tropey, you know, YA cancer movie is. No, this is a movie about life and living and Mm -hmm. the the opportunity to seize the day, if you will, to live while you're dying or like you're dying. And so, yeah, man, I'm I'm grateful you said that because that was the goal is to make it as sincere and authentic as possible. I was I was actually going to say like there are parts in the film where it's very harrowing, it's very raw, it's very touching, but there's a lot of parts that are just a lot of fun. Um, yeah. um, so, 
how was it to be able to kind of blend the two kind of things and just kind of those two very, very stark differences in the film? Well, that's life, man. I yeah. mean, look at our lives. Our lives are extreme highs and extreme lows. And the journey between the two, the dots that connect the two, are is the journey of life. And so mm-hmm. you know, at any given moment, you are all we're always feeling two exact two things that are you know that are contradicting. Right now, I'm exhausted, but I'm also happy, right? Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I have energy, but I'm also exhausted. I'm also mm-hmm. I also have anxiety because there's a freaking pandemic happening, but yet I'm hopeful, right? Yeah. We tend to focus on like these one parts of our lives and we see that so often in movies, but life is a convergence of joy and sadness and yeah. suffering and hope and all of these things. Um, so it was just following life. It yeah. was the humanity in all of us and making sure that we captured it in a way that was true and authentic to the true story, to Zach, to who he was. And he was a kid that believed in living you know, yeah, he also was messy and had dark moments and the family, you know, wasn't perfect, but that's also the point is because yeah. they are all of us. Zach is all of us. Laura is all of us. Like these family members, we all have somebody in our life that mm-hmm. is them or we will be them at some point. So it was yeah. important to show the imperfections because that's also what makes us and it perfect. Yeah. Well, that certainly all came across in the film. Again, I really loved it. I know there's going to be a lot of people out there who do love it as well. Thank you so much for the film and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Talking about it, bro. Thank you. Ah, this week, well, last week, actually, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with uh, the lead creative team from Walt Disney Animation's new Disney Plus Frozen short, Once Upon a Snowman. It's a short about Olaf, the snowman. Oh, yeah, I watched that. You watched it, yeah. Um, Kind of set. It's quite cute. It's quite cute. It's enjoyable. It's set during the first film, and it's like the origin story of Olaf. What happens between the time that he's created and the time that he uh, created by by Elsa, and then uh, and then up to the time where he meets Anna. Um, so it's sort of it's set between that thing. Um, enjoyable enough short. Um, but I got to I got to speak with the lead creative team from the film, which uh, was a uh, head head of animation, Bicky Brissy. Writer and director duo Trent Corey and Dan Dan Abraham, and producer and creative consultant Peter Delvecco. I'm uh, calling from Australia this morning uh, from YouTube channel Dave Lee Down Under. It's a real pleasure to uh, be able to speak to you. Um, firstly, yeah. con- congratulations on the success of Frozen Two and uh, absolutely gorgeous movie. I really loved it. And Once Upon a Snowman is such a beautiful little companion piece to the franchise. I really enjoy. Uh, I really adored it. Um, My name is Trent Corey, and I was uh, animation supervisor of Olaf, Gale, and Bruni in Frozen 2, and I was lucky enough to pitch and co-direct and co-write Once Upon a Snowman with Dan Abraham. I'm Dan Abraham, and I co-directed Once Upon a Snowman with Trent after I was finished storyboarding on Frozen 2. Yeah, I'm Peter Delveco, and I was the producer on both the Frozen movies as well as, as the short, and you know, it's, it's the same. It's, it's understanding the vision of the directors and helping them pull the team together, which is easy because really we took the whole team that made Frozen 2 or good portion of the team that made Frozen 2 and they went on to make the short. So yeah. that part of the, the job uh, was, was pretty straightforward. I was head of animation um, and that is pretty much what Peter does too, which is trying to get the director's vision up to the big screen. That's the over 
do with it, really. Yeah, and it's it's really just looking after um, the characters and making sure that um, all of the characters are looking and acting like themselves throughout. For for you, Peter, um, you are both a producer and a creative consultant on the film, and as you said, you've been involved with the franchise since the beginning. Um, what does the creative consultant part of the job entail on a project like this one that's so Im- embedded in an established franchise? Well, I, I think it, it is exactly that. It is is making sure that, that we're adhering to the rules of the world, yep. uh, who these characters are, um, uh, to, you know, and, and Jennifer Lee and Chris were also involved, and particularly Jennifer, in overseeing you know, the development of the story. And again, we yeah. want to make sure that we're telling stories that are at the highest quality, both technically and, and just as stories themselves. So. Yeah. So Trent, I guess we'll, we'll start with the inception, the genesis of this idea. Uh, where did, where did this idea come from? And uh, how did you, how did you pitch it to the studio? Yeah, sure, Dave. Yeah. This idea goes way back to 2012. I started at Disney as a trainee uh, in a mentoring program. And my first job was on Frozen, the very first movie which is a crazy film to start on uh, yeah. that successful and, and that fun to work on. So, um, and I actually started animating when uh, Let It Go was being done in our department. And I remember hearing the song and I saw one of the animators, Chad Sellers, you know, submit a scene and it's Elsa making Olaf. And she makes Olaf and then she just keeps walking and she's singing and we, we go along with her. She sings Let It Go and builds the ice castle. But when I saw that shot, I thought, what? She just created life for the first time. And now we don't see Olaf for another 20 minutes of film. I want to know what happens next. And, you know, I have a love of like Bambi and Pinocchio, um, those moments of characters like discovering themselves, who they are, how they move. And I just thought there was a lot of fun to be had in that. So, you know, the incarnation of this idea was in 2012, 13. And then over the years, I just kind of slowly chipped away at it. And it's really... Um, the Disney Plus partnership that we have that kind of created an opportunity for us to make this short. And Jennifer Lee, um, you know, uh, kind of said, go with it, make it. And and she uh, introduced Dan and I to work on it together. Amazing. So that's how you, you became involved, Dan? You were just sort of... Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lee asked me if I would come on board and, and help Trent uh, figure out the story and, and co-direct with him and go on this journey and we had a great time. Amazing. How do you, where do you start writing something like this, particularly um, something that's so imbued in a, in a established franchise as previous law. Do you start with the story idea? Do you start with gags? Yeah. The very start um, was in the pitch. It was, you know, I, I done maybe, maybe 20 beat boards of scenarios. They were, you know, what if we started, during Let It Go, what if we got to Oaken's cabin? What if he tried on some noses? Uh, what if he, you know, um, was chased by wolves and to the ending? So I, I kind of had the basic foundations. But then when Dan came on board, um, I just kind of said, here's where we're at. Um, go away for a week and just do your thing. You know, what would you do differently? What would you do the same? And uh, I'll let Dan take it from here. I mean, Trent had, Trent had such a good foundation for a, a story and and such a great a bunch of gags and moments and all that stuff. So I just think then and and some, moved some things around and then just brought them you know presented them back to him to see you know if if I was 
what he thought and if, if, if uh, I had just made it different or if I had made it better or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think just the two of us bouncing ideas back and forth like that um, really brought it to a place that everyone really reacted well to. Yeah. Do you find it um, easier or harder or is it kind of the same to work within a previously established franchise as opposed to something that's um, completely new, completely fresh? Well, there's, I think there's, there's definitely things you can lean on. Uh, Like we did have that foundation. We knew we had to stay within those moments and, and we know the character like Dan and I and the crew that worked on this and Josh Gad, you know, everybody involved. We, we've worked on this character for eight years and for us, it's a joy to revisit. You know, we just love animating a love, um, storyboarding a love and Josh Gad, obviously, um, voicing a love. And Becky, you've been involved uh, with the Frozen franchise from the beginning as well um, in various animation roles. How has your role expanded throughout the, the series of films and, and shorts? Well, on the first version, I was the animation supervisor of Anna. So that really is um, a group of people from all different departments coming together to build the characters. Um, and so it was it was more of once we got into production, it was more making sure um, I'm keeping care of Anna and that she looks and acts like herself throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, I think on the first version, Peter, correct me if I'm right here, was about 75 animators. Sounds about right, yeah. And so my job as an animation supervisor was to help make sure that it felt more like one person was animating, mm-hmm. us, like keeping the person consistent throughout. As far as head of animation, it was broader in that I was part of a, a small team of um, heads of departments and we were collaborating, overseeing more of the movie than just my character. So it's overseeing a little bit more of our team. Um, creating a team um, to look after the characters, really just trying to get the directors as much as What's the what's the difference in, um, I, I guess in in your your process in creating for a feature film, a theatrical film, as as opposed to a short film? Is it the same, or are you, or is there kind of different ways that you go about doing? Well, it, it, much of it is the same. I mean, it, it's we know these characters well, we know these worlds well, so that part is the same. What is easier is we're not inventing new worlds and new characters. And what's easier is, you know, with a, a short, depending on, you know, it can be seven, ten minutes long. Uh, so the arc of the story is much easier when you're talking about an hour and a half or more for a film. Um, everything is interwoven. So so really uh, the, the story takes longer to um, uh, develop. So the advantage of a short is usually you can lock the creative ahead of trying to animate the short. So therefore it makes the whole production process uh, go a lot quicker, a lot smoother. What's the, what's the time frame for a project like this? Obviously a feature film can take years in product, years and years in production. A short film like this, are you, I'm assuming you're under a much more constricted time frame to kind of, to get all the work done. Yeah, I, I came on, um, uh, June of 2019, and our wrap party was in January or February of this year. Wow. So I, for me, it was about six months, but that's because we were able to build off of what Trent had already, you know, sort of done with his sketches and his little notes and things about what this thing could be. Um, and so we had such a good foundation that we were off and running, like right away starting in June. 
and um, yeah, it was it, it was really quick, and we we hit very little hurdles along the way. Like we had stuff to figure out for sure. Yeah. But this was one of the easier projects I've ever been on. That's, that's amazing. Sure. Well, and this is, I mean, you heard it started in 2012, but technically eight years. <laughs> technically, we did about a minute a, a year, but uh, yeah. You weren't working on it every year for, <laughs> come on. Tires, please. Um, I'm continually awed by how much more incredible your animation gets with each passing film. Each time I kind of think it's hit, it's hit its peak. CG animation has hit its peak. You just find new ways to just absolutely awe me. Uh, Frozen 2 was absolutely <laughs> stunning. I've, I've been on record in the past saying I think it's some of the most gorgeous CG animation I've ever seen. Incredible. Traditionally, short films have been used to, I guess, experiment with technologies and techniques and help refine artist craft. Walt Disney did it with the Silly Symphonies. The early Pixar shorts essentially were used to create CG animation. Do you still find short films a great outlet to be able to experiment and refine the craft? Or is it just at this stage kind of about getting in there and, and having fun? You know what? I, yeah, I think you can do both. I think on this one, we know the characters, we know the world, um, it's established. And so we can have more, we can have fun with the animation and pushing into that. But we do have also short circuits at the studio where we can be more inventive and try different things. And, um, always, we're always, it's in our DNA to push things further with everything we do, whether it be in the animation or the look of it or, um, you know, the style. Uh, it's just kind of what we do at the studio. So we're always looking to, to be better and push ourselves. And I think it's part of the passion of our staff, um, that allows us to. So this this one here, Once Upon a Snowman, is of course set during the first film, um, and it places Olaf in scenes that he wasn't in during that film. So were you able to? Sorry if I sound a bit ignorant, but were you able to go back to kind of like the original animation files from the first film, or is everything just completely from scratch? Well, because um, because time has gone, you know, there's a lot of time yeah. that's been frozen, and so. There were some things that um, animation-wise we had to do just because the rigs had changed so much. Yeah. Um, for instance, the scene where Kristoff and Anna the flood and she's saying, um, you have friends that are love experts, you know, that sort of thing. We had to have an animator go in and kind of recreate that scene because we just, we didn't have that information anymore. Um, so there were things like that that technically were challenging that we had to kind of do on. Trent and Dan, this is the first time both of you have like taken the reins on a Frozen project. You've both been involved in the previous films in various um, uh, capacities. What's that transition like, um, going from various other roles to, again, just taking the reins of, of a short like this? You know, it was pretty amazing. i got to say that I, I, I have done a short circuit at the studio, and Dan has directing experience to a Disney tune. Uh, so we both have experience directing, but in terms of the Frozen franchise, like we said, the team, you know, a lot of our team worked on the first two Frozen movies mm-hmm. and some of the short uh, properties. And then we had Jen, uh, Jennifer Lee, Chris Buck, and Peter Delvecco to kind of lean on, um, and Becky, you know, um, head of animation. So we had a lot of people to lean on, but I got to say that um, doing this with Dan, uh, doing a partnership co-directing, uh, was really fun because we got to bounce ideas around and it does take the pressure off a little bit because we're just, you know, we can bounce ideas around and just have a good time making it. Pretty amazing at Disney, uh, the support that you get 
and from from every department and from every person there and how everybody wants you to succeed mm. and so everybody brings their know-how and their their and, and they just support you and they and if you have a question they answer the question for you and they guide you and and they believe in you and trust you i mean you know the fact that we were asked to direct this like it's like okay well they're the directors like jennifer lee obviously saw something in them to make, make this happen so people rallied around and they were yeah, it, it, it's, it's overwhelmingly wonderful, really. So this was obviously developed specifically for Disney+. Plus. Does that change the way that you approach the work or is that business as usual, exactly the same? You know, it didn't, it didn't really change anything, actually. If anything, it does give us a little bit of room to play with the, the time format. You know, we, because it's streaming and it's not playing theatrically or on a DVD where there's time restrictions, yeah. we were kind of given free reign, so... Um, so we just, we made the short we wanted to make and we had all the same talents and tools and technology, um, working on this that would have worked on the features. So really it's just part of the same process. Well, I I think uh, what's great about Disney plus is it gives us opportunity to tell stories. It gives us a, 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 you know, an opportunity. Um, I would say our approach to the short, whether this was released on Disney plus or released, you know, theatrically, our, our effort on the short, our quality on the short is going to remain the same in in either case. Yeah, I think that's great. I think especially with all the content that has come out of Disney+, Plus, there is no distinguishable uh, distinguishable difference between something you would see on the big screen or on the small screen. And I think you've got to commend the teams of people working on these these films and even Disney for being able to, to kind of back, you know, in the past there's been, you can, there's a, there's a distinguishable difference between something produced for television and something produced for uh, for cinemas. I mean, yeah. again, big commendations for being able to, you know, produce stuff to the highest quality for this format. I think it's great. Do you, do you think it opens more opportunities for you at uh, Disney Animation uh, in the kinds of projects that you can um, go forward with in the future? Yeah, there's no question that it'll create opportunities within our own studio to tell more stories because we were still continuing to make our big feature tentpole films. Uh, but Disney Plus also gives an opportunity to tell other stories. or um, uh, So, yeah, I think it, it, for us it's very exciting. I love the uh, the documentary on the behind the scenes of Frozen 2. That was very mm. – I, I thought it was very um, raw and very just, um, you know, honest. And you don't you mm-hmm. don't kind of often see that. And I, I just kind of love to see that behind the scenes glimpse of, of that um, – the making of that film – did you find going into the short film straight after the big one, did it feel like part of the same kind of process or is it like a little bit of a breather you can kind of step back and... Well, I, I looked at it as another opportunity to revisit our characters because you don't often get to do that when a movie ends and we're all kind of excited about the characters all the way up to the end and you're running, you're running, you're running and usually you just stop. And then you have to say goodbye and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, where'd you go? You know? <laughs> and so what was nice is that instead of running and stopping, we got to just hop onto this next project and continue our team with Olaf. And that's a really special thing that I would want to do. As long as we've got Josh Gad in our corner, we're, we're golden. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's fantastic in this. What's it like um, working with him? I, I know there's a lot of um, improvisation and all that kind of stuff. How, how far did he kind of veer from your original script? He's very, very sweet to work with. He, um, you know, he comes into the booth, gives everyone a hug, a nice warm hug, Olaf style. 
And uh, it's the hardest part about being in the booth with them was not laughing, uh, really. And and I got to say, just to Josh as a person, you know, he comes by our animation department. He he came to our rap party. He he's there for us. He understands the process, and he enjoys the collaborative nature of it. So what a great guy to work with. Yeah, he um, you know, he he gets the script and he uh, says the lines and all that, but then he'll just start riffing. And he'll say the essence of the line or he'll lengthen the line or he'll change a word or whatever. And he just goes and goes and goes and goes until he stops. And then you've got so much gold to choose from that you have to be like, oh, what do we do here? Like, there's so much to work with. Like, it's it's a pleasure. It's just, and and yeah, Trent's right. You just have to not laugh so you don't screw up his take. That's fantastic. Uh, Look, guys, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it today. Uh, Once again, the short was fantastic. Really loved it. Thanks again. Um, but yeah, a, a show we watched a couple of weeks ago, Netflix um, was uh, not Netflix. Disney Plus was Marvel Six One Six. We watched this. This uh, this. Careful what you say. No, I'm all right now. Oh. Embargo's lifted. Oh, that's all right. Last man. couple of weeks, I've been allowed to say anything. At the time we're recording this, it, it's not on Disney Plus yet, but it goes on tonight. Um, and it is Marvel 616. It's a documentary series which focuses on Marvel comics. It's sort of like each episode is its own self It's so great to be able to talk about this freely yeah, now, yeah, by the way. Um, it's Each episode is its own self-contained mini-documentary. They well, go, only, what, 15 minutes or 20 minutes? No, that was the Pixar one. It was like 15 minutes. Oh, okay, yeah. The Marvel ones were anywhere between 45 oh, to 70 really, minutes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were really right. long-form ones. Um, but you're really great. Most of the episodes are really good. There was maybe one that was a little, a little bit slow, a little bit boring. But uh, most of the series is just absolutely fantastic. Um, and um, I, I loved how it's kind of focused on sort of not just like big characters and stuff, but kind of focused on some of the hidden sort of pockets of the of the comics universe. Doesn't really touch on the movies or anything. So mm. you know, you always hear about the movies, the MCU, whatever. This kind of goes back to you know, goes back to the origins and the comics and. I think I was oh, a good. really fantastic series. Really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a couple of weeks ago. I had the uh, absolute pleasure of interviewing comedic actor Paul Shear, who directed one of the episodes of the show, uh, one called Lost and Found, which focuses on uh, lost and hidden characters from Marvel over the years, um, and uh, as well as our series executive producer Sarah Amos. How, how have you both been? Good. Great. I mean, it's intense, you know, but, uh, you know, look, the benefit is I get to talk to you and not have to wear uh, pants. So, I mean, look, uh, you know, there's exactly highlights, right. highlights and lowlights. <laughs> uh, this series is really fantastic. I'm a big Marvel fan. You can see myself. Yes, um, love it. It's really, it's really great to see a series like this that not only dives into the really well-known kind of side of the Marvel universe, but particularly with your episode, delving more into some of the, the lost and found characters, the characters that yeah. never really sort of became the next big Captain America or Iron Man. What particularly draws your interest uh, towards kind of that side of the Marvel Universe? I think we have to always remember that for most people, uh, Iron Man is what they think of when they think of the MCU, the Marvel MCU. But this is a character that wasn't the most popular character in the comic Mm -hmm. books. I mean, a handful of years ago, I don't think anyone knew what Guardians of the Galaxy was unless you were an avid comic book reader, you know? And, And you'd have to even go a little bit deeper. And so for me, it was about telling the stories um, and celebrating 
the books that we remember, the characters that we remember, and the conversations that you have when you're with your friends. Like I, I talk with my friends about pop culture all the time, whether it's a TV show that I remember or a weird commercial, but mostly we're talking about like, do you remember like there was a Marvel character who like got injected with like mongoose blood? Oh wait, yeah, 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 like a yellow costume. Yeah, yeah, wait, was he called like the Wiz? No, 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 the Wizard. And it's like, and that was, the kind of conversation I wanted to bring the audience into, like mm -hmm. that kind of conversation of the fans putting together a story. Like, what was it? Oh, I remember this happened and then this happened. And you slowly, you know, using all the pieces of everybody at that table, you put together what you remember it to be. And so this is a celebration of all those characters that aren't being, their books aren't being re-released. You know, they're yeah. kind of just, they're kind of like in the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're boxed away in the Marvel vault. And I wanted to kind of shine a light on that. And so by bringing together Reggie Hudland and Donnie Cates and uh, Jerry Duggan, who are all very different Marvel creators, I was able to talk to them and see what were those those things, those those characters that they are that they long to see again, or that that made some sort of impact on them. So that was um, that kind of brought me in because it just felt like that's the way that I talk to my friends about Marvel, and uh, I thought that was a good starting point for a documentary. Yeah, what what I really love about this series is that each episode has a vastly different style. Obviously, each episode has a different director attached to it, uh, focused on a very different area again of that of the Marvel universe. Um, Paul, is do you get to work with the other directors to kind of talk about your visions, or is everything very much um, you know self isolated? You know, it was an interesting process because Sarah and her team came to me and really gave me carte blanche. They said, yeah. our playground is the 80 year history, the 8,000 characters of Marvel. What story mm -hmm. do you want to tell? And it could have been anything. And what I love about this series is that each director brought their own idea of the story that they were passionate about. Yeah. And because there could be a version of this series where it's a straight up documentary about the history of Marvel and you try to touch on everything and that would have been fine. But mm -hmm. what you get to see here is like the, the, eth the, the, the ethos of Marvel, like what, how creation happens, how, you know, where the passion is. So what they did in comic books, they did in this documentary, they empowered the creators to tell the stories that they wanted to tell. And so we were very much separate. And I think that Sarah probably has the best point of view as far as, corralling the tones, knowing that we had one of this and one of this. I will say that my uh, my connection to each person was, I was in the same editing base as other people. So I would walk over at a time when you could walk over and, and share a kitchen and do all these things and, and look and see and watch. And so that was a, it was collaborative almost after the fact, or it was even just as a fan going, oh, let me see this Spider-Man footage. I got to see this Spider-Man footage, you know? So yeah, so it was much more um, from a distance as, as a fan. Yeah. So Sarah, yourself, um, what's that like as, a, as an executive producer on the show, what's it like overseeing so many different Essentially, they're their own little isolated documentaries. These go for 50 to 70 minutes each. What's it like for yourself overseeing such a vast array of very different little documentaries that kind of come under under the one umbrella of this series? It was so exciting, right? And I will say it was it was daunting and a lot 
but luckily I wasn't doing it alone, right? There's a team of mm-hmm. amazing executive producers who worked on this, including a bunch of different folks, Harry Goh, Stephen Wacker, John Sorelli, just to name a few. And then also our production partners at Supper Club, which are best in class filmmakers who really understand uh, nonfiction narrative in a way that most people don't and pushed us creatively to not just tell kind of the traditional Marvel story that maybe people were expecting. Uh, I think that really comes across as you look at the variety of stories, as you start to experience them. I think, you know, this series should hopefully appeal and uh, be a fan favorite for everyone who knows and loves Mm -hmm. Marvel, but hopefully it's going to bring in some new people too, because I do think there's something so universal about Marvel Mm -hmm. and our characters and kind of our storytelling ethos that once you're in, you get. And I'm hoping that this might be a way in for someone who doesn't necessarily read comics or isn't a big, uh, maybe like blockbuster movie goer. This really gives a bunch of uh, different entry points for people, which is uh, really exciting for us. Uh, And it was just fun, man. You know, we all learned new things as we made this series. And we all got to uh, be introduced to incredible characters or finally put characters that like in our heads we've always envisioned would be awesome on yeah. the screen. <laughs> um, and and sometimes those were, uh, you know, people like Street Poet Ray uh, yeah. and, and our favorite uh, eco uh, fighting, uh, eco terrorist fighting animals. And sometimes it was just comic creators that we love and we know are so incredible and passionate about their work. And now the whole world is going to get to see them in action. Yeah, I think that's been, uh, you touched on it uh, just briefly before, Paul, that one of the greatest things that's come from the Marvel Cinematic Universe is bringing these lost characters to the forefront. You mentioned Guardians Mm. of the Galaxy. There's just been so many of them that Marvel have made, turned into big stars. Like 10 years ago, I didn't know who Star-Lord was or Groot, a big talking tree. And yeah. I think that's just such such an incredible thing. And with this this particular show here, you bring a lot more of these other little characters to the forefront too. As someone who's been a big Marvel fan for for a long time, some characters I've never even heard of. Um, so, well, yeah. what kind of what characters would you like to see make the jump to the big screen? Uh, either ones that you touched on in this series, or other ones that you you didn't get get time to. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Look. Um, at the end of the day. I'm always trying to find a a role for myself in the Marvel universe. I mean, look, I'm no (laughs) dummy. Um, But, um, you know, I I think it all comes down to who is passionate about the character, right? Because I think you Mm -hmm. need to, it's not enough just to have a cool character. It's like, how can I tell this story? And, you know, I look to Matt Fraction, who took a character like Hawkeye in the comic Mm. books and, and just told a different story. I mean, you know, Hawkeye, I think, is a character that maybe you have never read before, but when he took it and did like that storyline where Hawkeye's waiting for the cable guy. Like, I'm like, I'm immediately in love with this character now. Like there, you know, I, I think there's a, a, a storyteller for every character. Now that being said, uh, I mean, I want to see a lot of stuff. I am obsessed with damage control. I want to see like a damage control, like in the style of the office damage control, a mock, you know, a documentary about this yeah. team of, of superheroes that have to clean up the messes of all of the uh, superheroes. I mean, I personally, I've been telling Sarah all morning, I, I want to be, uh, I want to be in the running for Rick Jones. I mean, Rick Jones, <laughs> normal human who gets partnered up with the Avengers because he kind of screws over Bruce Banner, gets to be an honorary Avenger and then goes to space. Come on. Yeah. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> he's, he's friends with the Kree. 
we're walking into that in the Marvel universe. Uh, yeah, I just basically the only goal that I have, and I work with Don Cheadle uh, on Black Monday, uh, and I talked to him about this all the time. I was like, you got the best role because uh, you get to be with everybody. I want to stay around for a long time. I want that John Favreau, like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'm hanging out. Like, let, let's do it. You can always get me in the mix. Like, like you know, but make me in the back making coffee. I'm in. Uh, and, and yourself, Sarah, well, what do you, uh, I, I guess, again, what characters do you feel should get that spotlight to, to come from the back that particularly, I guess, touched on in this in this series here? I mean, a lot of the characters that I really love are really getting their moment right now, mm -hmm. son, right? So, I mean, we have stuff that's coming out with Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. Mm -hmm. Oh, so great. We, we have Miles Morales and Moon Girl both kind of rising to new levels. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, uh, I've said this in many an interview today, Street Poet Ray. That's where <laughs> that's where I feel not enough time is being spent in the world. So we gotta get back to Marvel's uh yeah, street poetry. We poetry. gotta I mean, why are we letting that go? Why? <laughs> it's what everyone can identify with. Everyone yeah, wants yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, just so the stories are so universal. I, I just I just adore it all. Um, but thank you so much for your time, guys. Again, the series is really fantastic. Paul, your episode is great. Just had such oh, a so nice beautifully, so uniquely comedic style to it. And it's so, so you. It is so you. Oh, um, you're so and, lovely to say it. Thank you so and, much. And again, Sarah, the whole the series as a whole, just really great. So uh, fantastic thank work you. from both of you. And thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank it's been you. a pleasure speaking thanks to you. Thanks for staying up so late to do this. Yeah. No, early. Well, early now. Now it's early. Now it's early. Yeah. I'm doing That's a morning right. show in Australia in a little bit. <laughs> oh, enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Great. Thanks again for your time, guys. A few weeks ago, I spoke with actor Jay Reeves and director Reginald Hudlin from the Disney Plus original film Safety. I didn't get the chance to spotlight these on the podcast last year, so here is your podcast exclusive listen of both interviews in full, beginning with Reeves. Uh, hi, my name's Dave. I'm calling from Dave Lee Down Under from Australia. Um, I watched the movie last weekend and absolutely loved it. You were absolutely terrific in it. Thank you so much, man. How are you? Uh, I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, fantastic. What What was it about uh, Ray Ray's story that resonated with you and, and made you want to be involved in this production? Oh, well, absolutely the heart. Uh, this story is full of heart and love and sacrifice. And these things just... They just pull at me, you know? So uh, reading it, I remember feeling this this feeling and dropping everything I had to, uh, going on to go and learn this and, and do my research so I can book it and, uh, and play it. You know, it was incredible. You would have had the chance to spend time with the real life Ray Ray. Of course, it's based on a true story. Um, how important yeah. was that uh, with you to be able to meet with him? Um, it, how, how important was that in telling the helping you tell the story? Well, I feel like it's very important and I have to thank uh, Disney for making it happen, you know? Uh, being next to Ray just helped my performance so much because those little uh, details that actors love to really, really help us get into the role so you can get into the role, um, he just gave me, well, he didn't give it to me, but I had the luxury to, to find them on him. You know, the small things that made Ray Ray is what I spent my time looking at. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Had, had you heard of Ray Ray's story before going into the film? No. Um, I heard of it the day I got the audition notice. <laughs> I went home. Like I said, I dropped everything. I love, we were at what, Wendy's? We were at Wendy's getting some food. And I see his audition. I literally skated out there and text my friends later, like, hey, I got to go home. I got to work on this audition. 
you know, and they didn't have any idea it was going to lead to all of this. Neither did I. That's incredible. I, I, I'd not heard his story either. And uh, yeah. when I, when I went into watching this film, I searched him on YouTube, but there was like a 60 minutes report or something on it, some <laughs> news report. Yeah. On it, which is incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Oprah, see that, like, like I was saying, uh, when Ray's story was being told, I was Faymar's age. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily watching news, but to see the coverage that they did back in this time, it was amazing. And I'm just glad that, what, almost 15 years later, we're still telling this story. Yeah. Do you do you use stuff like that in helping you craft the performance? Of course, as we said before, you got to meet with him and speak with him. Are you able to go back to that material from the time mm -hmm. and sort of look at that mm -hmm. and help that inform your performance as well? Yes. Well, I feel like all of that is always the um, the top, like the the icing. You know, that's the stuff. That's the easy stuff to find. The stuff that that's online and stuff. When you really want to do research is when you really dive in. You you look at outlets that might not have gotten exposure but covered mm -hmm. the story. You know, so uh, just doing as much research as I possibly could. Um, really helped me research and studying if you really apply yourself you'll know it is is that a challenge for you uh being uh, having to uh portray a real life person on the screen um and how do you find the line between saying true to the person and putting your own kind of artistic license on it well it, it wasn't it, it was hard it's definitely hard but um it's something that i've been doing at a smaller scale all throughout film school you know i was lucky uh i, I spent a lot of time up at afi the American Film Institute. So uh, a lot of these directors were telling their own stories and I'll play them, you know? So, so uh, just to see that on a bigger scale was really, really cool and um, something I love to do. I, I, I didn't realize how much I love playing someone until I got to play Ray. Yeah, that's very cool. And uh, mm -hmm. of course, you are working with Disney here and they have such a long history of sports movies. It's just such yeah. this very obscure kind of pocket of the yeah. Disney universe. Um, yeah. Are you are you kind of, a, while you're doing this film, are you kind of um, aware of this this legacy that you're kind of stepping <laughs> into? Particularly in something that is, I guess, is the first sports film that's been made exclusively for Disney Plus as well. Yeah. You know, you know, this all of this that's happening a whole year later after shooting make me truly realise what we were doing. You know, I, uh, even while shooting, I, I, I don't think I really grasped uh, what, what, what we, I had a hold of, you know, and being a part of such a great legacy, like you said. Uh, and to see it, I, it's, last night I was on my Instagram and a few photos came up of Milan and, and Seoul and my face was next to it. <laughs> and that kind of tripped me. I was like, yo, this, this really looks like a Disney movie. <laughs> so to be a part of that family, I grew up watching Disney. This, I turned Disney on to keep me uh, happy, <laughs> you know. So it's it's crazy. Well, this this film, I'm um, I'm a big Disney fan. I love all their films, of course, as everyone does. You grow up with the films. Um, I love the sports movies that they put out as well, and this just felt so um, so at home with all of those films. I think it's I think it's brilliant. And yes, you definitely you know, you're part of that legacy now. And I think that's... Yeah, no, this this movie definitely fits in. And it's been so long since they've given us something like this, you know, a sports movie where we can look to. Uh, my, my family still puts on Remember the Titans, just because, yeah. you know, that's our movie that we put on in the back just to have on so we can catch a great scene. And I just hope that safety can become that for the next generation and moving forward. 
Yeah, the great thing about it is that the message, the the themes, the story is so timely as well. Particularly yeah. right now, this year is so crazy, and this story that just has such a beautiful heart and a soul to it, it couldn't be more timely than right now. Of course, um, especially in a time where we don't have access to our immediate family. You know, a lot of people are social distancing and staying away. So to have something to remind you of that, especially going into the holidays, come mm-hmm. on. Come on, this company, Disney knows what they're doing. You know, this is great stuff here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you got to speak, uh, you got to work with the um, terrific Reginald Hudlin in this film. I'll be speaking with him uh, later on this afternoon. Uh, this is an artist who has been involved in so many wonderful productions in the past. What's it like for you to work with him on a project like this? And what do you learn about your own process um, working with, with someone who's such an experienced veteran of the industry? You know what? The thing I love most about working with Reggie, Reggie is that he made me feel like a vet. You know, coming into something like this so big, so massive, you feel like I'm the rookie. I'm the underdog. I don't know anything, you know, but Reggie, I remember um, sometimes I'll be like, hey, you know, after the take up, like, thank you for the opportunity, Reggie. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? You've been doing this. And so <laughs> his mindset of me just made me dream more. You know, I, I was talking to a man who who saw the, the more in me, you know? So um, that's just something I, I want to keep uh, touching on and keep building on. I really, really appreciate him for do- giving me that. Really wonderful. Yeah. And you, yeah. you of course, you, you had some, you had some really wonderful on-screen chemistry with uh, Thaddeus J. Mixon, who played Feynman, the brother in the yeah. film. Um, oh, we must've got along really well off screen as well, because that really does radiate <laughs> in yeah. the film. Yeah. That's my boy. Uh, Thaddeus is just, amazing to work with and you know children have the best imagination these guys he didn't he didn't have to act he's just doing stuff organically if anything i i just said like you know little small pointers like hey look at the camera (laughs) hey oh well don't look at the camera or look at this next to the camera just small things that i've read in many books (laughs) to uh help him you know little cheat codes (laughs) <laughs> to help him, you know. And there's a great chemistry yeah. with the entire cast. And it really is an ensemble piece, really, this film. Oh, definitely. Everyone uh, made sure that they gave to this film, you know. Uh, I, I kept telling the guys in this movie, even the guys who didn't have speaking roles or weren't really an immediate character, there's no such thing as a small role. Your essence being behind me makes my role better, you know. Yeah. So uh, when you go into it with that mindset, everyone's working together. It's, it becomes more of a, a collaborative effort than just me leading the movie, you know? Um, very last question here before we go. Um, we did say this story is so timely right now. To you, what is the importance of the story and what do you hope the audience takes away from it? Um, just the family feel. We're going into the holidays. It's the end of the year. I want you all to feel what I felt playing Ray. When this whole community stood behind me and just, just helped me uh, playing Ray, help Ray, I want you to have the same feeling that he felt, you know, it's such a remarkable story. And I have no doubt that you'll love it from the football to the the characters, to the jokes. It's amazing. It is fantastic on all levels. Thank you so much for your time. Again, the movie's amazing. You are terrific in it and uh, best of luck with everything else. Thank you so much. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm calling from uh, Dave Lee Down Under YouTube channel here in Australia. I watched the film last weekend and absolutely loved it. I thought it was really, really fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Just a beautiful, heartfelt story, full of soul, and it is such a timely story for for right now. You have been involved in some incredible productions 
in the past. Uh, Marshall, of course, starring the late Chadwick Boseman. One of my personal favourites, Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. That's a film that has had a lot of play in my house over the years. House Party, you were producer on Django Unchained. You've written for Black Panther. You co-created Shuri. This is a career that reflects a desire to tell stories about remarkable people and remarkable characters. And this is obviously what has drawn you to the story of Ray Ray and Famer. Um, what was what was it about this story that made this the next one that you wanted to tackle? Gosh, well, you know, you read a script, and first of all, the script was great. It wasn't a script that needed fixing. It had everything in it. It had, uh, you know, comedy. It had drama. It was going to be a tearjerker. He had great sports action. Um, uh, it had, you know, a family. It had education. It, it, you know, it had every value that you want to, you know, convey and embrace. Uh, I, I just thought, well, this is perfect. Why wouldn't I make this movie? Let's go to work. Yeah. How were you approached to be involved in this? You know, I literally, my agent called and said, you know, they want you to do this movie. You should take a read. Read it. No brainer. Let's go. I met the producer, Mark Charity, great guy. Met the studio. Hey, we love you. We support what you want to do. Next thing you know, I'm down in Atlanta, down in South Carolina, scout locations. Had you heard of uh, Ray Ray's story? Before? I had not. Somehow I had missed it. But man, the minute I heard about it, it was a no brainer. Let's go. Yeah. Um, you obviously would have got time just uh, to spend time with the real Ray Ray and Famer. How was, how was that for you? Well, what's great is that they are who they are, right? You go, oh yeah, you really are Ray. <laughs> you know, he's a, you know, a, a humble guy, low key, but that willpower of I can make anything happen, that's him all day. You know, yeah. Famer is funny because now he's tall and gangly. You're like, whoa, you grew up, <laughs> you know? But that same sweetness that you saw, you know, in the video clips, and he's still that kid. Yeah. How how important is that for you as as a storyteller to meet the real people in informing the way that you you're going to tell the story? Very important. You know, you can't always. You know, Thurgood Marshall's long gone. I didn't have that opportunity, but I talked with his family, uh, who were wonderful. In this case, we had Ray with us. You know, he's there on set. He's you know training the actors. You know, in, with physical training. So. Uh, he was a touchstone for all of us, and that was an incredible resource. Amazing. Disney, of course, has a long history with these sports dramas or these films set and with the backdrop of sport, not particularly about sport, but, you know, use the sport as the back. You go back as far as the 1960s, and they're making movies about sport. This is such a, a huge part of the company's legacy, this pocket of this vast legacy of the company. Are you aware of that legacy and how you kind of can bring your own voice to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the legacy of sport film across the board, right? Yeah. And yes, certainly uh, Disney has a rich history, but, you know, just period, right? And you know, like I saw those movies, I love those movies. So the question is, what do I have to say that adds to the legacy? You know, yeah. what's, what's new, right? Those movies have stood the test of time. Um, and I felt that Ray's story was something new and different. Uh, it embodied those classic values, but we had not seen this story before. And I felt like it was the right story for right now. Yeah. So you didn't particularly feel like you had to fit in with a, a certain mold or anything. You were able to just sort of 
do your own thing. Yes, absolutely. No, it was, you could only do your own thing. Do you feel like there's a, a challenge in maybe telling their story um, truthfully, but then also putting your own artistic spin on it? Well, you know, I mean, you usually pick them because they led an amazing life. And you yeah. want to honor that amazing life by telling it truthfully. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're making a movie. And sometimes you just want to just collapse things, just move it along. So that's that's the balancing act you, you, you have to make as a filmmaker. Um, but I've done it a few times now, and it, it, it seems to work out. What was your favorite um, aspect of, ma- of making this movie? I mean, the whole thing just looks like so much fun. It is a fun, energetic movie. It sounds like you had a lot of fun making. What's what's your highlight of this? If you can well, I mean, God, the football stuff was so much fun. But in the opposite end of it, sometimes the one-on-one dramatic moments, whether it was Ray and his mom or Ray versus Faye, you know, those scenes can be just as delightful as you know, big spectacle. I, I, I love both of them, both things. How do you, how do you balance that as a, as a storyteller? It is a film that has so many different layers. How do you go from one day to the next? You do dramatic scene one day and then maybe a big energetic sports scene the next. Is that hard to kind of go between the two sort of things? Not, not really. Cause look, I mean, again, it was tribute to the script that it was always fireworks, right? Yeah whether it's the fireworks of two people speaking really honestly to each other or the fireworks of 85,000 people packing into a stadium. But it's still like, whoa, this is a big show. This is a big emotional moment. And, you know, you just want to keep delivering those big emotional moments so people really feel the ride. You have got a terrific cast of actors here, both young actors, veteran actors. What's it like to work with an incredible ensemble like this? Well, it was wonderful. Um, one of the things I really appreciated from Disney is that they were like, look, this is not about the stars. This is about the movies, the star. You just get the best actors you can get, which is what we did. And I love, I hadn't worked with a cast of young actors like that since House Party. And, you know, find that next generation of people who I think will have long careers, like Jay Reeves, like, you know, Thaddeus, you know, TJ, uh, like Corinne Fox. I mean, you know, all the guys on the team, just they're fun. <laughs> we just had fun together every day. What, what's the number one thing you wanted to bring to the film? We mentioned it's a very timely story. It's important for right now. What is it that you, you want the audience to get from this movie? As a filmmaker, I want an energy. You know, and I, that's why I want to have an explosive camera style that just, you know, that puts you inside of, you know, his world. But what I want to take away is laughter, tears, and inspiration. Yeah. You know, here's a guy who found his way out of an impossible situation, mm-hmm. and he did it with education, uh, commitment to excellence, and family. And you know what? Those are universal values. I don't care who you are, what you believe in. You got to get around those issues. And hopefully people will go, yeah, we all believe in that. And I think that's what we need right now. Yeah. And like I said before, it's a, it's a sports film, but at its heart, it's not really. It's about, it's about the people and it's about yes. family and togetherness. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, the sport reveals who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, this, as we said, it's a very timely film, um, particularly with what we've been going through this year. I mean, it's been a crazy year and it 
movies like this almost feel more timely now um, than maybe even when they were in production. That's exactly the case. I knew we needed that movie when I agreed to it, but man, I feel like I'm here just on time. <laughs> so, uh, and, and that really reflects uh, the reactions of, you know, everyone seems to be like, woo, thanks. I mean, I cried ugly, but I loved it. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, look, again, I love the movie. It's fantastic. I'm a big fan of Disney. Sports films of the past have just been really, really great. And I really do feel like that this does fit in just so organically, but it is, as we said, its own unique thing. And I just, I adored the film. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Same here. Take care, David. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the best of the Daily Down Under podcast 2020. Once again, I'll be returning with brand new shows in early 2021, where you can catch episodes every Monday on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon, and the visual element on YouTube. For early access, don't forget to head to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Dave Lee Down Under. See you then.